Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. A 20th century scientist time travels back to ancient Jerusalem in John Ferguson's mystery, King Solomon's Deadly Legacy. It's a faith-themed story which combines murder, betrayal, and corruption in business with deeper questions of healing and redemption. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today John talks about how he came to write this challenging thriller. It took heaps of research, and he speculates on what King Solomon might be able to teach us in a time of pandemic. We've got three ebook copies of King Solomon's Deadly Legacy to give away to three lucky readers. Enter the draw on the Joys of Binge Reading website or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. You'll find links to John's website, his books, blog, Facebook page, and healing ministry in the show notes for this episode, also on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. And while you're there, do leave us a comment or suggestions. We love to hear from you, and we do endeavor to reply to everybody who messages us. But now here's John. Hello there, John, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's good to be with you. Look, you've written this book, King Solomon's Deadly Legacy. People love to hear what the genesis of a book is from, how it came to be. And I gather that your time travel novel has quite an interesting story behind it. Could you tell us a bit about how it came to be written? Well, I've been a Christian for many years. I've always been fascinated by King Solomon, how when at the beginning of his life, when he He obviously loved the Lord and he heard from the Lord. And by the end of his life, he was depressed. He was writing Ecclesiastes and he'd backslidden and he was he was committing idolatry, building idols and worshipping idols for for his wives. And I always wondered how the, the, the man who was supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived, how he could have fallen into that trap. And then a few years ago, I realized that, hey, actually, Our culture, Western culture, since the two wars, has been making the same mistakes. And I I wanted to investigate that and and present it in a way that that would make people sort of think about it. And and then what happened, that's been in my mind for a number of years. And then one one, uh, meeting, we were in with our team at the church. And the pastor said, if something has been in your heart for a long time, it's probably God. And so that stirred me to say, I need to write this book rather than just be thinking about it. So it all started. That's great. And how long ago was that that you did start seriously getting down to writing about it all? That was was eight years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's taken a long time. I mean, it took me five years. I spent five years on research just doing that. And then having got a few facts under my fingertips, wrote it and then rewrote it. And then I learned how to write and then I tried to get it published and that didn't happen. You know, you know the story. Yes, I do. Yes. 
So you've got someone with a 20th century or 21st century sensibility, Simon, who's a scientist, and he gets catapulted back into King Solomon's time. It's a daring choice to have such a big time travel gap. And for those not familiar with the story, I wondered if you could just outline when exactly this is and what the political situation in King Solomon's time in Jerusalem was all about. King Solomon lived 3,000 years ago, more or less. He was one of the, well, he was the greatest king in, of Israel at the time. He was the greatest king at the time anywhere. And um, he was the son of um, King David, who was well known for killing Goliath amongst other things. And so this was in Israel and the surrounding, surrounding kings and kingdoms were all, had all been subdued by King David. So they were, they were beholden to Israel. So Israel was actually the dominant power in the Middle East at the time, 3,000 years ago. Now, there are some people who actually query whether King Solomon ever actually lived. I wondered if you could perhaps address that, because we've both seen just very recently a New Yorker article which debates this mm. issue. It's still quite a live issue today, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's interesting because somebody wrote uh, a blog recently, I think it was actually on the Facebook page, and he said, we don't know anything about King Solomon. And I wanted to write back to him, well, if you believe the Bible, you would know a lot more about King Solomon. <laughs> I always find it fascinating that people are happy to accept other material, and yet they dismiss the Bible. Nowadays, there are archaeologists who accept the Bible as useful literature because it was created you know, a, lot, a lot earlier than a lot of the other, other material. Yeah, yeah. As you've mentioned, we get very contrasting pictures of this historic figure. And I shared your perplexity, really, about the fact that how could this man be the wisest man that's ever lived when he ends up being a bit of a sad mess? How do you handle that in your book? Give us an idea of that evolution. Well, first of all, I've always been fascinated by time travel books. So I'm a sort of time travel junkie. And so, therefore, this seemed to be the best way for me to explain what was happening. So, um, Simon, the protagonist, he's a botanist and he starts off his life as an atheist. And he travels back to King Solomon several times, five or six times. And each time he meets Solomon at a different age, different period. So, actually, he does the first trip isn't at the beginning, but the second trip he meets Solomon at the beginning of his reign when Solomon is um, full of love for the Lord, uh, full of faith, and Simon is blown away by this guy because he can't get his head around the fact that that he believes in God. But then, of course, each time he goes back, Solomon has changed, and so by the time he at the end, the end of the book, Solomon is backslidden. Actually, rather sad character. You know, he's not interested anymore. It's, he, he's over it. And, and now, of course, what, in the story of the book, the Simon has come to faith in Christ, and he's all excited himself. And so you have this sort of continuing conflict from the beginning right through to the end because these characters change. Simon, there's quite a strong theme running through it, too, of 
healing. Simon's daughter at the beginning has got a very aggressive cancer and Simon himself, once he gets into ancient Jerusalem, suffers an injury that someone prays for him over. And there's also that underlying theme that, that unfolds as we go along of him gradually becoming a little bit more open to the idea of some spiritual aspect to healing. And I know that you've been very, very involved in healing ministry for a number of years. Could you tell us a bit about that side of it? Yes, I we run schools of healing around the world, and, and by God's grace, we've seen tens of thousands of people healed. But I tell you the, the, how they started. I'd been invited by my brother to go to Soweto to the opening of Reinhard Bonnke's big tent. And while I was there, I watched a miracle happening. Now, remember, I was, a, I was an atheist myself. I, I came out of that background. I'd recently become a Christian, but all of this supernatural stuff, I, I was very happy to dismiss. And then I was standing in front of a man who was talking to a girl, and the man said to this girl, now put your hand in the air. And this, this 10-year-old girl put her right hand in the air, and he said to her, no, the other one, and then I noticed that her left hand was all twisted and withered. It was only like half an arm, and her hand was all crooked. And then I watched her arm grow, and it took about 10 seconds. Within about 10 seconds, her left arm was totally normal. And in my, in my sort of atheistic mindset, I was trying to make sense of this. I was trying to think maybe she's got a spare arm, maybe she's got a balloon. I, I mean, what? how do you try to make sense of something that doesn't make that is beyond your experience. And I was ready to dismiss, even then, I was still ready to dismiss this, that I hadn't seen it properly. And then I noticed that the woman to her right was crying. The woman had to be her mum. So there was this lady crying. And I realized that my the problem was with me, the problem I had witnessed something genuine and I needed to change my mindset. And that's really why when this, that theme comes through this whole book, because mindset, uh, mindsets are not called mindsets for, you know, for, they're called that for a reason. We're stuck in them. And then we need to shift and change. Yes, it's challenging, isn't it? Because all of us have probably had experiences of praying for someone close to us, dearly loved and not and not seeing the answer that we wanted. So it, it is a very challenging topic to, to engage in, really. I can Yes, it is. And I can understand why some people who've been disappointed in prayer can feel a little skeptical about it. But yeah, you cover it very nicely in this story. And that perhaps brings us to another aspect of it. Your intent of the book, you do have this definite underlying message. You're you're quite straight at the beginning that you are treating it from a Christian point of view. Who do you see your audience as primarily being? They always say you should, you should be writing your book to one person. I, I believe being realistic, I'm a Christian. This is a book with a Christian uh, premise, Christian mindset. I believe that Christians will pick it up. But my plan is, uh, my heart is that they will pick it up and say, hey, you know, I need to give this, this to all my friends because they need to read this. So, that, so I believe Christians will probably buy it in the first place but want to pass it around because the message is much wider. Yeah. And when you mentioned about 
writing it for one person. Did you have that one person in mind? Well, yes, a sort of 40-year-old Christian uh, lady because, <laughs> or well, but, you know, I, that's that was really what I was aiming at. But perhaps you realise, understand from the book, I, I actually like, I like thrillers, I like whodunits, I like books, I like page turners. I, I get bored with pages and pages of romantic stuff. <laughs> so I don't do I don't do romances. So the book isn't like that. Uh, it's not it's not going to appeal to people that are looking for a sort of a nice fuzzy slushy <laughs> warm feeling book. Yes, yes. We we won't give some of the story away, but there's a great little complication there because he's he's married in um, one time zone and and he gets faced with some issues in the other. We won't go into that because it will spoil the story, but I thought you did that very nicely. He does actually have some romantic interest there. (laughs) Have you got any thoughts about continuing this as a series? Yes. My first thought was that I would write three books, Solomon, David, and Saul, and I'd write them in that order. Solomon has taken a lot longer than I was expecting, so whether I'm going to live long enough to be able to do the others, I don't know. (laughs) But that's... Both David and Saul have got heaps to teach us and both fascinating characters. And when you start to unravel David, who who he had so many different aspects to his life. Um, so I'm, that's actually what I'm doing now, beginning to, to research David. I guess that you mentioned that you've done a number of research trips to Israel. So quite possibly some of that research has already been done. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And I had to learn quite a lot about David as well when I was writing about Solomon, you know, you, mm. so you get the whole sort of era. Saul David Solomon was a time of dramatic change in Israel, even more dramatic, really, than we have experienced over the last 50 years. It's, it's, uh, they went from being little more than sort of a, a band of hooligans through to um, an established civilization. And all of that happened in two generations. So it was an extraordinary, extraordinary time. The other thing that seems to be significant to me, I wondered if you saw it as a coincidence, that it's being published in the middle of a global pandemic. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about COVID-19. You know, some people have sort of drawn a theology of why we might be suffering this at this time. Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I do believe that it's it's a sign of the, of the times, a sign of the end times. There are lots of potential uh, signs, but I think this is one of them. And as I was praying about it um, not long ago, I felt the, the Lord say that this, is a, this was just a warning shot across the bounds. There's more to come. So I don't think we need to be complacent. And, and why I'm excited that it fits in with the theme of the book is that it's it's saying to people, we, I mean, this is why I wrote the book, is because I believe that as societies, we need to get back to God. We're heading off in the wrong direction as, as civilizations, as societies. And the purpose of the book was really that to highlight the fact that Solomon went wrong. And as a consequence of Solomon's backsliding, Israel, within four years, Israel was invaded by Egypt. Within a few weeks, Israel had divided. And that set up the the path towards exile. 
And right now we're seeing the same thing happening in our own culture. We're seeing um, invasion in the form of refugees. We're seeing division. The countries politically, socially, are more divided than they've been for, for decades. And I, I think this is just a, a big warning sign. Hey, guys, you know, we need to look up. We need to uh, listen up and and change our change our attitudes. Yes, that, that really does introduce the question of the slightly wider career that you've had. As you mentioned, you had that contact with Reinhard Bonke, who was an extremely well-known evangelist in Africa, and then you worked with him for a number of years, didn't you? So turning aside from the book specifically to your wider experience, tell us a bit about your work in Africa, and I think you'd been farming in England before you went to Africa. So tell us something about the background that, that led in the wider context to this story. I was uh, raised on a farm in England and eventually farmed it myself for nearly 20 years. So um, that's my background, and I have a degree in agriculture. That's, that's who I am. I'm a, trained as a scientist. And then my wife and I became Christians, and it's a very long story, but we were invited to go and be crusade directors for Reinhard Bonnke. And we traveled around the world and lived in different countries, places like Indonesia, um, Argentina, Brazil, Jamaica, preparing the big events for him. And, and that meant coordinating with the local pastors, organizing committees and, and organizing all of the um, infrastructure that needed to happen in order to make those make the events come to place. So that that's really that's what we did for a number of years and then we when we left his ministry we started our own ministry to do something similar on a smaller scale but we saw some we saw some amazing things and and probably the most memorable of all of it was the time that we were standing on a container in a meeting in lagos in nigeria in front of one and a half million people. And, and just to see, you know, 75 acres of people standing shoulder to shoulder. And then when the Holy Spirit fell and they all started um, calling out, crying out to God, it was, it was just extraordinary. And, and when we were there, we, we, we knew that we're actually watching history. This is, this is a, a significant moment in history to be part of. Yeah, amazing. I must admit that it was just in preparing this, these questions that I, I realised that Reinhardt actually died just last year, was it all? Quite yeah, recently. Yeah, he passed away in, uh, um, at Christmas and we went over to Florida to his memorial service in, in um, January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a wonderful man of God. So your ministry now is mainly targeted in Nepal, is it? Yes, we travel... We take teams twice a year to Nepal, although the next trip is beginning to look a bit doubtful with the current uh, uh, virus situation, lockdown. They've they've actually got it quite badly there, and the whole country is shut down. So things are going to need to change quickly if we'll get there for November, which is... But we were there already in in, um, March, so we we go take teams twice a year, mostly teaching um, teaching on healing, and by God's grace, we... See, I mean, we uh, the, the last trip we actually watched a girl's grow very much like that first first one I was telling you about, and watched her um, right arm just go from all withered and twisted up to perfectly normal. 
And what was lovely is to see see her afterwards, just kind of touching her own hand because it was obviously changed. Yes. Yeah. That was lovely. It's wonderful, yeah. Look, this is the joys of binge reading. So we do like to make some recommendations for listeners for books that they might like to enjoy to read. You've mentioned that you are a time travel um, fan, but tell us about some of the books that you like to binge read and make some suggestions perhaps for ones that people might enjoy. I've thought about one or two. First of all, well, I love historical novels and there's quite a lot of good stuff written, um, biblical, what we call biblical fiction, about, like, like I have about Solomon, but people have written about uh, other characters out of the Bible, and most of them are good. Some of them are excellent. I love anything by Jill Eileen Smith. And then coming away from the biblical stuff, I love C.J. Sansom's Shard Lake series. These are, these are whodunits based in the uh, sort of around the time of King Henry VIII. Uh, absolutely brilliant. And you really feel you're in the, in the, in, in the time. It's excellent. But I, I, was actually, I was actually saved by reading Dear and Glorious Physician by Taylor Caldwell. So, and, and because at the end of the book, she says, this story is continued in the Gospel of Luke. So I picked up the Bible, started to read Luke, and was blown away by the fact that Luke was fact and the other was fiction. And, and suddenly I realized I believed all this stuff. So that's, that's really how my journey started. So, yeah, biblical fiction has always been important to me. And I have actually written a young adult story myself called Flies in a Window, which is a young adult whodunit based in the UK about a young girl who investigates her supposed brother's suicide, but she doesn't believe it is suicide. And, of course, it turns out not to be. So that was fun to write. Is that the only other fiction that you've done? Yeah, that's the only other. That was my first effort at fiction. I reread it recently, and 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 you kind of bits of it you cringe. And you think, oh, I wish I'd reread that. <laughs> but on, on the other hand, it's uh, it's still a good story. So, what made you write for children, or well, young adults? Because I wanted to share the gospel with my goddaughter of the time, who was a teenager, and I thought this was a nice way to do it. And so, but she didn't get saved. So. circling around and looking back down the tunnel of life you I think you've also written quite a few non-fiction books but have you got any regrets about not starting your fiction writing a bit earlier no I, I think really I was for many many years I was rather sort of snooty about fiction I thought who wants to read who wants to read fiction when you when you want to read facts you want to read the truth but then one day I, I woke up and realized, hey, the whole Bible is a story. It's all stories. And, and Jesus himself was the greatest uh, teller of fiction. We call them parables, but they're all fiction. He made them up. They were brilliant stories. And so if Jesus can tell fiction stories, well, so can we. Uh, that made yes. me feel a lot better. And I, uh, I have no qualms about reading fiction or writing fiction for that reason. Yes, and particularly there is still a bit of a division between the genre fiction, which is the sort of fiction that we're talking about, the mysteries, thrillers, historicals. Some of the historicals go more into the literary, but a lot of the genre fiction is still a little bit looked down upon. But, But really people do get a lot out of them. They reflect 
real life perhaps in a way that some of the more heavy books don't. I I think that it's a far easier way to read history. I mean, I'm enjoying several um, books written about the Second World War, which if you were reading fact books, you know, that's going to be hard work. But reading them as fiction, for example, The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you really get into the get into the period and feel what well, believe you feel what the, they were feeling. Yeah, yeah. So what is next for John the writer? What are your plans for the rest of 2020 and heading into 21? Well, yeah, I have actually started on on King David. I've written I've written a chapter for it. But I need to do more research. David is an extraordinary character. I mean, he was he was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was a he was a, an adulterer. He was, I mean, a terrorist. It just goes on and on. And 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 then, of course, he was he was a lousy father. So how do you put all of that into one man? I mean, for a while, I've been thinking he must have been bipolar, and he, he must have been, but I don't know. The one thing I've read a lot of novels about him but the one thing they all leave out is the fact that he was a worshiper he worshiped god he wrote the psalms or a lot of the psalms for us he and he was a musician he brought music into church they didn't have music in church before dave and so he brought the whole thing the reason that we sing music in church now is david and so this is this is something that needs to be brought out and yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about it. So that's gonna that's what I'm gonna be doing for the next year or two. That sounds almost like a trilogy in itself. That <laughs> yes, yeah, the scope of that life. Yeah, and then and then of course King Saul, poor chap. Yeah, he he, he got it all very wrong. You actually wonder if he had a bit of a, a psychotic a problem of some sort or another. I'm sure he did towards the end. Yeah, mm. yeah, but he was a very courageous man. In his early life, he was full of courage and, and he was obviously a great leader and people followed him. And, but again, he, he, he went wrong. It's interesting, isn't it, how perhaps non-believers consider that the Bible is, is some sort of, you know, tarted up story. But in fact, a lot of these people, there are things that are written about them that none of us would really want history to remember. I mean, like, the Bathsheba incident in David's life. It's all just laid out there for you. There's no kind of hiding what went on. And, and, and uh, it's pretty remarkable like that. It is, I know. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's sort of, you think this has to be true, you know, because if this was just gloss, it, it, it wouldn't be in there. Oh, they'd have censored it. They'd, they'd have, have censored it, it. Yeah. 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 This yeah. doesn't make him look good. We'd better. <laughs> rather, rather like the writer of Chronicles. He'd taken out all those bad bits. <laughs> he didn't want them in there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And the way that Saul throws his, his spear at David when he's playing the harp and things, you just you just have quite a picture of how violent the times were. Yes, very much. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that you haven't had much chance yet to really talk with your readers in quotes about this book because it's coming out quite soon, isn't it? It hasn't actually been officially released yet, I don't think, has it? When is it out? It was. It's a bit complicated. What happened is um, it was due for publication 
on the 15th of May, but because we were all in lockdown, we didn't know quite what to do. So we continued with what we called a soft launch. So it is actually available now online on Amazon, Book Depository, and, and places like that. But it's officially in this country, it's being launched on the 15th of July, which is just in a few weeks' time. And the reason is because we don't actually physically have books in this country. We couldn't get them here. And so that we're actually shipping them from Malaysia. They should be landing this weekend. They should land in Auckland this weekend. So, so we'll have books, and then we can have a, a proper launch. Oh, that's great. So there's going to be a launch p- uh, party in the 16th of July at, at our church. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Wonderful. How are you planning to interact with your readers? Have you got, got somewhere like a Facebook page? or? Yeah, we've got Facebook, JF Ministries, or John Ferguson, you can you can um, search for both of those. We've got a website, johnf at jfm.org.nz. I've also got a, a blog site with the books uh, on there as well. So, uh, yep, very happy for people to contact. Give us your email, we'll give you a free book, but not one of these. You'll have to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll put the links for all of those different sites, etc. In the show notes that are published with this episode, so people will be able to find them as a permanent um, utility there, and I'll make sure that that happens. That's great, Jenny. Thank you. So, look, it's been wonderful talking. I'm really looking forward to seeing the next one. So, you'd better hurry up and keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful, John. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.